This is the Context Podcast sponsored by Geist Interactive. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. A FileMaker developer of any number of years experience has a chance to grow in the platform or remain stagnant. Those that grow do so by learning new techniques, but also by changing the way they do things. Evolving our thinking is a certain path to growth in the FileMaker platform. Today I sit with Todd and Dave Graham to talk about evolving our thinking. This is an interesting topic because as part of the Geist Interactive team, I see our history and hear our current path. And in some cases, they're quite different. We've evolved our thinking. Todd and Dave talk about how they've evolved their thinking, why, and where the techniques have changed. Evolving is a good thing to do, so let's see how Geist Interactive does it. Today's episode is brought to you by LedgerLink. As you'll hear in the discussion, LedgerLink is a product that has grown out of our evolution. Those that use LedgerLink reap the benefits of all the changes we've made over the years. All right, Dave and Todd, welcome to the Context Podcast. Dave, this is your first time on. Welcome. It's technically my second time, although you never did hear <laughs> the first one. So I'm hoping that with Todd on this one, that that it's a higher caliber and, and actually gets uh, <laughs> gets released. Uh, that's a good oh way to God. start. Yeah. Well, you were you were good in the origin stories, so I, I'm letting oh, you on you. the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Todd, I just, I don't have a choice. So (laughs) kind of have me on. Uh, All right. So I want to bring up a topic with you because in my three years at Geist Interactive, I think it's been three years now. It's, it's been forever, it seems. Um, (laughs) And even, you know, knowing Geist Interactive, even before I joined, um, I've noticed that you, you two, uh, especially Todd, but now that I work with Dave, you talk about data structures a lot. You talk about how to organize your file and and how to organize the data and, and relationships and stuff. You've you've mentioned such things as selector connector in my time that I've heard. You've talked about multiple files. You've talked about controller files. Sometimes you talk about single file setups and you discuss something called separation of concerns. It's interesting seeing how your work and thoughts, uh, seeing all this stuff before I joined Geist Interactive and, and through now. So it seems like we have evolved our thinking quite a bit. Just yes or no, is that statement true? Well, sure. Uh, you okay. definitely need to evolve. Um, times change, right? Yeah. So, so uh, Dave, you've evolved your thinking in the, mass, in the past many years? Yeah, I think since I joined Geist Interactive, I think I've probably changed more in these last few years than mm. probably ever in my time using FileMaker. And that was a big surprise for me. Honestly, because, you know, because you knew it all already. I thought I knew what I was doing. (laughs) It's, it's funny how that is. You know, you both have mentioned and Dave, you mentioned in your origin story, working with a dev shop, people who are learning FileMaker can do that, but also people who think they learn, they know FileMaker, it would be beneficial to work with a team of people. Uh, Oh yeah. You learn a lot for sure. So. My question at right at the outset, before we talk about your specific changes, is it okay to evolve? Does it does it seem like we're too flighty and changing our minds about things? Is is it allowed to evolve? What what makes us evolve in 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 FileMaker? So uh, first of all, yes, I mean you do need to evolve. Um, uh, I think if you want to stay relevant moving forward, um, but I. And so you do need to change your ideas and question your your assumptions on things. 
Um, but, but I do want to start off by saying that change just because there's a new idea or a new thought of how to do something isn't necessarily always the right thing to do. I mean, working code is working code. And so you don't need to run out just because, you know, Todd and Dave say, oh, you should build your solutions this way now. There's, there's, there's no good reason to run out and re-architect systems that are perfectly fine and functioning. Um, and so, you know, the uh, change just to keep up with fads is, is probably not that useful an idea. But you do also need to be aware of um, the industry that we're in or information systems, internet, databases, whatever, this whole application development is changing rapidly. And the context um, within which it's changing is is really shifting. And so the assumptions you had and the, the ideas you had that, you know, five or 10 years ago, or even just a few years ago may no longer be valid. And so you do need to sort of be aware of what's changed so that you don't just keep plodding along in the same direction when there's opportunities to do things in a new way. So yeah, change, think- change sake isn't, isn't great, but you definitely do need to keep an eye on what's going on. You know, Jeremy did ask about, have we, have we been, I, I forget the word you use, maybe too flighty or something like that. And I, I think that there, we're definitely sometimes our own worst enemies because we, we think in terms of like to produce quality code, you must do X, whatever. And, and so we've definitely spent a, a lot of time on things that haven't borne fruit or haven't stuck. Um yeah. And, and it's usually not with client projects because with client projects, we have we have to deliver value for every single dollar, for every billing period. It's like you, you can't escape from that. Uh, you, you have to kind of uh, leave somewhat of your principles at the door and say, you know, what's the m- most efficient, effective way to get this done to deliver value to my client? But sometimes with our own products, um, we're pretty bad. Yeah, I think I think you bring up a really good point there, Dave. Um, and, and this is why, um, you know, again, we have the title of this podcaster is 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 the context. And you know, the the answer whenever you're looking at any technical problem, anything you want to solve is, you know, people say, "Can you do this?" And the answer is always yes. Of course, we can do. It. We can do just about anything when it comes to making a system work. The question, the better question to ask is, should we do this? Right. And uh, and whenever you have a financial constraint around delivering something that tends to focus um, that conversation and much better than, than, you know, not having, uh, not having a budget or a deadline. You can, you can just, you can spend a lot of time doing things that don't turn out to have a lot of value. So that doesn't mean that like, it's okay if you do something good on the wrong path, like there's learning and all of those things. So it's still not a problem. If you, if you go down those, if you go down the path that turns out to be wrong, hopefully you learn from that. And that's just part of the part of how this works. So having a, having a budget, having a focus, um, having, uh, you know, a set of features that do need to get delivered can definitely help focus you on what kind of changes you should be making and what are just sort of like, oh, you know, this is a fun thing to do. So let's do it. So that's interesting. So it's okay to uh, tinker around and explore and change your mind and data structure, which we'll get into specifics as uh, in what we've done here. But when it comes to your client, you want to pick something that you know is established that you're quote good at. Is that the, is that you mentioned value for your dollar? Is that mean it's, it's what you're the best at, right? If you're best at selector connector, 
is that the thing that you're going to use? Well, so, I mean, I think, I think the important thing you just said is um, experimenting. If you're, we're not experimenting on our, on our client's dime, right? We're delivering things that we know how to deliver. Um, so that's really important. Um, yeah. So I don't, Dave's, I think was going to say something. Well, uh, no, I, I just think, you know, some random thoughts are like, sometimes they'll, sometimes our clients will ask us to invent that's right. Something yeah. really new, something that may have been similar at best to something that we've done before, but is actually brand new. And and those are the times where all of the discovery, all of the experimentation, all of the the prototyping is billable. Um, but there are other times where, you know, you may have done delivered certain features and thought, I really, I think there's a better way to do this. And this is something that might come up over and over again or we want to be prepared to offer this as a regular service to clients in the future. And so spending some time just experimenting with different approaches and trying new ideas and trying to find a better way to, to do X, Y, or Z, I think makes a lot of sense if, if you think there's going to be a return on investment in the future. Today's episode is brought to you by LedgerLink. As companies continue to digitally transform their work environments using FileMaker and a host of online resources, it is important to implement solutions that keep data synced up. LedgerLink is our tool to sync your invoice, customer, product, sales data hosted in QuickBooks Online with the data in your FileMaker system. LedgerLink is a connector between your FileMaker custom app and your QuickBooks Online account. In three easy steps, you can connect and sync all data in both systems, whether you want to push from FileMaker to QBO or the other way around. There's very little work for you to do to get set up. LedgerLink handles it all for you. LedgerLink is pure FileMaker, so you can get in there and extend the system and customize. You can use the LedgerLink file as your accounting file, or you can use it as an intermediary between your custom app and QBO. It's just FileMaker tables, scripts, layouts, and you know how to work with those. The Intuit Developer API is exposed and ready for you to add or modify to fully interact with your system. Let users of your system see QBO data without access to QuickBooks Online. Eliminate entry in two different systems with LedgerLink. Download the 14-day trial and see how fast it is to sync QBO data with data in your custom app. LedgerLink, the FileMaker QuickBooks Online Connector. What prompts you to evolve your thinking? Uh, something that is really irritating. <laughs> uh, well, fortunately for me, I have a lot of those moments. Um, there are certain expectations that I have about how software should work. And when it doesn't work the way that I expect it to, it just gets under my skin. And I, and the only way that I can get through that is to find a better way to, to, um, to do it, to deliver a feature, to a different approach that uh, meets my standards. Todd, what, what, what causes you to evolve your thinking? I, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, one day so, you were working on Selector Connector and then you did evolve to something else. We'll get into well, that in a minute. But yeah, I mean, what prompted so, the so Selectric Connector came from a very specific set of constraints and very specific set of conditions that existed back when FileMaker 13 shipped. And there were some very specific problems we were trying to solve that led to Selectric Connector. And Selectric Connector ended up solving a bunch of other issues 
that we had with how to build solutions at that time. Um, and so that was, that was part of it. We really, really, really wanted better pickers and, you know, the, the pop-up menus and pop-up and the, the menu drop-down menus in FileMaker are just not great for picking from lists of objects when it's, you know, more than the name that you want to pick from or something like that. And, and that just comes up so much over and over and over and over again that you want a picker. And so um, we needed pickers and we needed them to be somewhat portable. And so FileMaker 13 came along with this popover and we were like, aha, this is something we can use. And that led us to the architecture of Selector Connector. And then we ended up solving a bunch of related issues, a bunch of other issues around, you know, being able to sort of get anywhere from anywhere in the graph. Um, and so that that's how it evolved. And so that came from, we needed better pickers. And so we evolved our thinking around that and uh, came up with Selector Connector. And then, you know, things change and, or you, what typically happens is you have an idea like, like Selector Connector, which seems like a really big one. And I should say that we weren't the only ones. That idea was kind of developed almost simultaneously by, by us and also Seedco, Jason Young in particular, was kind of facing the same problems and we arrived at a very similar solution. And so that, that made us really feel like we were onto something. And, and, and I think we were. So that's how that, that evolved. That, that, that's how that came up. Um, over time, some of those, some of those conditions that made Selector Connector be a, uh, be a really good thing went away. So there, there just wasn't a need for, to use popovers for pickers, for example. Now we have card windows, which are, are much, much better at it. And so, you know, when that, when that, when, and there's a number of other things that, that have changed that make some of the aspects of Selector Connector no longer necessary. Another thing that can happen, this typically happens with developers a lot, is we get a good idea like Selector Connector and we overdo it. We go too far. And I think Selector Connector, one of the ways in which, the way in which I, I quick, I learned very quickly I'd gone too far was using it to drive, uh, to drive transactions. I really wanted one solution that would let me do all the things I wanted to do in the UI and transactions. And very quickly, within just a, a few months of doing that, I realized that that was a mistake and we pulled transactions back out to the other way, the old way that we've been doing them and still do them. Um, so, you know, um, what forces me to change? So I think there's, I'm trying to solve a, solve a problem. The other thing that forces me to, that gets me to rethink is when I started, when I start to get a sense that things are too complex, when there's too much that we're carrying around, um, yeah, it's like, you know, I just needed popovers and I got, and I got this whole mass of infrastructure along with it. Um, you know, that's kind of, indic that those, those kinds of things begin to weigh on me over time. And I start looking for ways to simplify, simplify, simplify. So solving problems and then simplifying are the, I, if I had to sum it up, those were the two things that, those are the two things that, that, that drive me to. Think. And it's like this ebb and flow, right? Because, yeah, sure. you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're um, incentivized to create the solution to a problem that you see, and then it creates its own problems. That's right. <laughs> and then you have to go through a period of simplification to, yeah. to get back almost to square one in some cases. Like we, we've found with Selector Connector, I uh, took an old solution that has a ton of data, multiple rows, uh, multiple um, tables with millions plus rows of data and wound up in situations where I'd copied a layout object from one layout to another and and that calculation didn't do anything, you know, pure anchor buoy. But the second I put selector connector in there, it brought the server to a complete <laughs> freeze and crashed the server and corrupted the database files. And then I thought, is <laughs> this universal context isn't 
working for me because the amount of work I had to go through yeah. to try and fix the problem. And I actually never ended up solving all of the problem. I just finally just gave up and removed selector connector. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was an issue. Like it worked fairly well. And and the parts of that, we still, we still use a, some of the parts of it that worked really well. When it worked, it worked on new solutions. It was hard to retrofit because of these, uh, these phantom calcs, these zombie calcs that were, that that would get resurrected in under conditions that they were never meant to be and could cause all kinds of problems. We actually added a few features to FM perception just to try to chase these down. But really, I think the the biggest thing that I learned from that is, and, and this is just happening faster and faster and faster, is solving a problem with something that invasive as an entire application architecture. There's going to be, there's going to be consequences of that, right? And so, you know, there's a lot of other areas where we have We've solved problems with um, file architectures or, or you know, major design decisions, which uh, may no longer, just no longer be necessary. And so we're carrying around all this weight, whether it's selector connector, whether it's data separation is, is another one. You know, data separation has been around for a long, long time. And frankly, if, if you're starting from scratch today, I'm not sure there's a good reason to say, let's separate our data out from, from the rest of our, from, from, from the rest of our system. Um, so there's things like that that just happen uh, as any platform evolves, and you need to you need to be looking out for those things to be able to to try to simplify. Now, if you're if you're somebody who has a ma- a big system and that's what you do, and you've got selector connector in there, and you've got it working again, I, I, I'm, we're not saying like rip it out. Um, that's that's not the that's not what we're saying here. But do question sort of what why you have it. And, and sort of where, where you don't need to rely on it anymore and where you can start using different techniques that will make it easier for you to maintain that solution going forward. Uh, but all, and if you're starting something from you know, scratch today, square one, no you know, new database, um, give all of these things some, some pretty decent amount of thought before you start off on any file, particular file architecture. There's, there's really, a, it seems like a balance between evolving your thought and using the new versions and resting on what you're good at, what you know, what yep, you can absolutely. do, right? That's a tough, it's that's a, a tough balancing act to find what, what, the sweet middle of that the sweet spot. It, it, it's really hard. And I think, you know, we talked about having, having a budget, having um, dollars involved that helps to, to, to focus things. And also the other thing, the other thing that's really important for developers to come to grips with early on is there's no such thing as perfect. There's no such thing as the right way to do something. There's the way that it's working <laughs> and there's, it's the way that you just, did you just built it? Those are, those are the things that are actually real, you know, theoretical systems that you design in your head, but never see the light of day aren't very useful. So working functioning code is extremely useful. And, and, you know, just to, to, again, just to throw it out because it's no longer the, the best way to start from scratch is just a silly thing to do. It's working. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's the value. Okay. So is it working if it works 99% of the time? Well, these are, you know, again, you always have to focus, you always have to answer these questions through the lens of, of the, um, the constraints of the, of any given project, right? Time budgets, all of those things have to come in. There's, there's no way to answer those questions with, without without that being part of the equation. And of course, you know, um, if if somebody if not working ninety nine percent of the time means occasionally somebody's middle initial is lost, 
um, is one thing. Um, if 99% of the time uh, means that 1% of the time um, the financial transaction is wrong, that's a totally different thing. So all of those things have to go into the equation of whether or not this is something that you know needs our needs our attention now. Again, it's sort of like I, I really like this question of it's not a question of whether or not it's a good idea. It's a question of whether or not it's a good idea now, right? To 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 address that issue. So here are the issues. Is this a good idea to address now? And that the only way you can answer that is to look at all the other issues that you need to address. So anyway, um, okay. Let's let, let's talk about some of those those specific evolutions that, that we have made over the years. You mentioned selector connector. That was one yep. thing on my list. You described it a little bit, but can you just describe what it is, its main concept, what it was trying to solve? Um, so, so it came from, so, that, so context in FileMaker is kind of a double-edged sword. It makes a lot of things really easy and it makes a lot of things really hard. And, uh, and so when you're doing easy stuff, it's great. When you're doing, when you're doing, anything that gets complex or anything, anything that's reusable, um, it's, it's a pain in the butt because you have logic routines that need to be exactly the same, but they are forced to run in different parts of the graph. And that, that, that becomes very challenging to do, whether it's logic routines or UI, uh, specific UI um, scenarios that, that, that you want to do, um, they get to be quite challenging when you want to do them, you know, the same kinds of things all over uh, on different entities, different tables in, inside of inside of your database application. So Selector Connector was an attempt at making it so that you could script um, and you could design your UIs in such a way that they were relatively portable. So you could move, you know, the ability to, to take a note, to add a note to a customer, you could move that around so that every place that there was a customer, you could add a note to that customer. You didn't have to worry about changing for specific table occurrences um, for for the notes field, um, and it, so the uh, you know the the one that I talked about before was a picker. We wanted to be able to to choose a customer, whether or not that customer was on an invoice, on a purchase order, on a phone call, you know, whatever it was. We wanted the same piece of code to be able to run uh, in all those cases, and so that's what it was designed to do. And it did that. But nowadays, you know, again, again, the picker one's the easiest one to see that example. You just, I mean, with card windows, you just, that problem um, is drastically reduced because now we can just pop a card and pick, you know, make a layout for customers that's designed for picking. And you can use that card window all over the place. And, and it's just, you just don't need to have selector connector to, to do that anymore. So that reduces a lot of code um, you just don't need. You just get rid of. It's just simple finds now. No filtered portals, no fancy execute SQL stuff, just a find on a list view as your picker. That's an awesome simplification. That was actually my preferred approach for years. Uh, and I remember we were talking about this on pause on air and the, the, the handler-based approach. I yeah. was using modal windows before yeah. word windows. You know, I, I love selector connector, but really? It, wow. it, the, the one the one sentence response jeremy to your to your question is it's probably not worth it so it yeah yeah i remember trying to learn about it and maybe it was just my time in the in my filemaker career and and learning but i just couldn't understand it <laughs> i don't know if it was more complex I, todd you mentioned simplicity is what causes you to evolve. So maybe. Um... Yeah, there were, they're just, again, you know, the, the other, the, the way that Dave 
would build pickers in the way that we used to do it years ago, even back as far as FileMaker 4 and 5, we would use little little pop-up windows. Um, but they didn't work very well on on they didn't work very well on Windows at all. In fact, they were a pretty big problem. So another thing that's changed, it's not just card windows, but yeah. there, there's a number of it's it's funny. Card windows has a huge impact in the differences that it brings. Not only did it let you, you know, sort of pop up something in inside of a user interface space of wherever you were, right? You're not leaving that space. You're just dimming out the the background and starting this window. But it was way more than that, actually. It allowed you to open a window without having to be on the same layout as the window underneath, which meant that you no longer had to worry about firing script triggers and all the things that were on that layout. Like these were these were all issues that we were trying to get rid of by using popovers instead of instead of instead of dialogue windows, right? So when we went from little dialogue windows to popovers, we were simplifying because we didn't have to worry about script triggers. We didn't have to worry about window management, which was a major pain on PCs at the time. All that went away. And then when we got card windows, it got even easier. So that's just going to happen, right? Things are going to change in the platform that make uh, um, a lot of heavy lifting um, just not necessary. In fact, we hope that's happening, that that's what's happening with the platform is that it's getting easier to do things that you used to have to work really hard to do. It's now super simple to make a picker. And that has not been the case ever in the history of FileMaker has it been easy to make a picker. Um, it's always been, it's always been painful. And now it is, it's literally a list view with a quick find and you're, you know, 95% of the way there. That's great. Is there anything um, simpler that could come sure. that would evolve your thinking past card windows? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. There I, could be lots of things that could come up and that would make card windows not the solution for that kind of thing. But, uh, uh, you know, it, we, we could get right now what card windows bring is the ability to, without a lot of shrapnel, so without windows resizing, without windows flashing, without script triggers firing, um, without um, leaving the context of where you are, it lets you bring a second context into the, into the, your, into the, into the visual space. That's, what card windows bring. And uh, so if there's some other way to do that, that'll be great. It'll be fantastic. Yeah. Think about a portal that is, um, that doesn't need a relationship. Yeah. That would exactly. be so sweet. Yeah. Or just sub or just forms that aren't even list views, right? That are just like just another section of the customer record. For example, you want to show customer detail from somewhere else and you could just show another, another layout, a sub layout or something like that. I mean, these are all things that don't exist, but yeah, things will constantly evolve. And I think they'll always have a use because they're, they, they solve a particular use case very, very well. But in terms of pickers or bringing a second context in, they do that quite well too. They would do it better if they were like, you know, not a separate window kind of thing. So maybe someday we'll get there. So we'll get to that. It's amazing how that one small little thing, one script step, one new option in the window script yep. step solved a lot of problems. Yeah, there were two changes. One, we got the new window type, yeah. so card windows, floating dialogue. And the second one was we got the use a, new, use a new layout as part of the new window scripts. Those two things together are a massive shift. They, and I think those two things knock out at least, oh, 60 to 70% of what Selector Connector was designed to do are just by those two options to one script step getting added. So it's it's faded from use mainly because of the card windows and just the complexity that it 
brought the the grinding to a halt of server that and, and if you tried to put it onto a big old nasty system you, you definitely experienced some issues there's just no question about it yeah for sure um how about let's go on to uh, another structure another thing that you all have talked about um we, we, we've talked a lot about multiple files, um, whether it's a separation of concerns setup or just a modular setup. Um, I guess that's kind of the same, but data UI file setup. That's, that's something that we have been using and are still using. Are we, first of all, describe that better than I just did. Describe a multiple file setup for us. Well, I think you, I think the, there's lots of reasons to do multiple files, some of which may still be valid today. But I think the the common thing that we've we've seen for more than two decades in the FileMaker world was data separation, where you had a UI file separate from the data file. And UI file had user interface, and it had all of your scripting in it, and the data file was separate. Um, and that was that was, again, out of necessity because doing a data import on a large FileMaker system could literally take a weekend. Um, I mean, we, in, back in the in the early 2000s, working on some large systems, literally doing an upgrade would take 48 hours for just for the data imports to work. So, in order to get around that, people develop situate develop systems that you just didn't have to do very many imports. You wanted to deliver new features without doing an import, and so that that was a file architecture that lasted for well, maybe as much as 15 years, um, that made sense, that, that made a lot of sense to do it that way. I would say it doesn't make sense anymore, is starting again from scratch today, that um, that's not like like choosing to have a data file, I, you know, the, just because of imports doesn't make sense because with the data migration tool, imports are just simply no longer an issue. So Maybe, maybe but there are definite use cases where, Having a UI file that's disconnected from data, if you've got a huge data file, I can do a migration of a UI file in about 30 seconds and have people back to work versus maybe it takes 45 minutes. It's still faster than the 48 hours maybe that it yeah. took back in the day, but still significant. Especially I, if you're talking I, about you know, I think updates. it comes down to like, why are you making decisions to do files in a certain way? And like, um, yeah. there, there are a lot of, you also get benefit, you know, there's, there's push and pull to multiple files, right? More files can be good for some things and not good for others. But I, I think I think if your sole reason for choosing to make a data file so you can avoid imports, I just uh, that doesn't make sense to me anymore. Um, especially again, we're talking about at the beginning of a project where you have no idea if that project's ever going to reach the scale where the difference between an upgrade being a few minutes and forty minutes matters. I mean that's 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 very deep into into a into a system, um, and uh, yeah, it's, so it's sort of like, well, do I really want to go through all the other things that you have to do to do um, to do separation? Now, again, you might you might want to have separate files. There's there are good valid reasons. I just don't think importing is a good one. What's a good reason? So there, you know, some of the reasons might be that you want to have different parts of the solution evolve at different rates. Um, so you might have a, um, one part of your system, which is fairly stable and not changing. So you want to leave that pretty much alone. And you have another part, which is, which is under uh, a lot of, a lot of heavy development. And you don't want to have to, when you're pushing out new versions, you don't necessarily want to have 
to have to push out, you know, the whole thing when all you're really changing is one part of it. Um, you might also only, you might only want one file because you want to just be able to send one file around to people for, for whatever reason, for them to be able to put on their servers or do whatever. So there's a, there's a push and a pull between those two things and you have to balance it. You have to think about, um, you know, what are the advantages of each one? Multiple files means you're going to have to have, um, external auth or OAuth more than likely, um, because you're not going to want to maintain accounts in two places. So, Some of the other benefits of, of having multiple files, you could have um, platform-specific UIs. So you could have yeah. just an iPad version or just yeah. an iPhone version that doesn't have yeah. all the craft from your your desktop yep. file. Yeah, so, so good reasons, right? So those are good reasons. Other reasons might be... Um, how about um, using a vertical where you're connecting to different data sources, depending on the, the customer using the external data source, uh, variable or, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah, that's a good way. You might, you might want to be able to swap out data sources. So using external file references is a good way to do that. So that's, that's definitely something to think about. Um, and so the, the, the main point that I'm trying to make is that data imports are, are, are not the default reason just to do, to do file separation. You know, things are evolving very rapidly in this space. And there's also things, uh, unfortunately, there are constraints, which I think are artificial and are um, put on by the ecosystem that are unfortunate. So like, like FileMaker Cloud has one of their, one of their pricing tiers is three files, which is, which is pretty limiting if you ask me. And um, I, I would prefer it be higher. I think it should be higher. I think they could they could still make their point of they I mean they go from three files to unlimited files, right? Which is seems like a pretty large jump. I, I wish there was like a five or a ten because I think I could I could solve most problems and come up with a file architecture that makes sense within five or ten files. I think three I'm going to have to start making decisions on file architecture based on the fact that some customers are going to want to use that that less expensive server tier. That that's a bummer, but it's the that's the context we're in right now. Is that, you know, you may not be able to say, "Hey, our solution that we that we want to sell you has five files." Um, you may be like, "Well, sorry, that means your my FileMaker hosting cost just doubled. Now I got to figure out how to put those into three files because that's that's what I'm going to be hosting in." And especially, uh, it's kind of it's it's a bit frustrating when some of it is really not application logic, but mostly yeah. like, let's say log data, for instance. So we. We have a separate file that's controller that does all of our transactional logic. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, those files can get big because they're yeah. storing JSON payloads coming in, going out. And and really, you you can realistically just archive that on a period of time or or purge. Yeah, just delete it. Keep your backups and delete it. Delete everything in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but putting that into your main file and, and all of the additional file IO that goes along with that at the OS level, writing all that data to your main database file, you know, I would prefer to have that separate just, just because of that, because it's a much more efficient way of kind of keeping that information separate from the, the actual data that you're working with, you know, having to make decisions to integrate that into your, your main data file or main UI slash data file, just to get to the uh, the filemaker essential essentials plan you know it's a bummer but it 
it wouldn't really change the functionality of the the yeah. app to do yeah. it. It just make things maybe a yeah. little bit slower and a little bit more work. Could be, yeah, yeah. You 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 might have some tables that are just huge, and so you don't want them in there, um, and you you want to back them up on a different schedule because they're different. You know, those tables are just massive. You want to back them up on a different schedule, so that might be a reason you need to use multiple files. Um, I, I think that you know when it comes to thinking about application logic and uh, spreading that out over multiple files. First, you should understand the difference, the different levels of application logic, if you will, sort of UI versus versus um, scripting, you know, um, business logic versus entity relationships or database logic or the the entity tables and their and all, and all, and all their relationships. You should still, no matter what you do, I think that it's a very good idea to understand the differences between those. I, I think that they can be confusing to people. Um, uh, you know, what's business logic versus what's user interface logic? That can be a little bit hard to dice out. But I think once you understand where those where those constraints are, stuff gets a lot easier and also a lot more portable. And it's not that much more work. Um, like we always say about about transactions, which is a way of separating out your your scripting logic, your business logic out from your UI logic. And we typically and most commonly would in any com in any larger system put that into its own controller file. We say that's easier to to do in the long run. And, and I'm convinced uh, it's it's the I have been using that that business logic or that th th that scripting logic for more than a decade now. And that architecture works really, really, really well. Um, and so we commonly put that in an, in another file, but we have files where we do, where it's in the same file, like, like our, um, like auto migrator has, has transactions in it and it's not in its own file. Right. So in that particular system, we put it in the same, in the same file, but we still understand the difference between UI logic and business logic. And that's really important. That is where do you put it in a second file or not. So. So it, it, your your thinking has evolved from just a data and a UI file to a a file a multiple file setup if applicable that separates logic that it, it's not it's not even concerns anymore I, at least I that's what I thought it was like you may have a an invoice concern module over here in a file you may have a, a CRM or a, you know contact stuff over in this file you're not talking about that even you've evolved past that to where you're separate. You're putting the logic of scripts inside a separate file than where the data resides. Um, you know, that, I think yeah. I think concerns can be really subjective. I always took it to mean anything that's important, whether it's a functional application piece or whether it's um, you know a, a methodology of coding or or some other kind of organizational scheme. But that's just me. I, I think there's yeah again it's a, there, there, there there's a push and a pull to this. And I, I, what I, what I, what I always recommend is that people think about this a little bit. Don't just knee jerk say, we're going to have three files in the system. Um, oh, uh, you know, data UI and, and controller, because that may not be appropriate. You know, there are, I think the controller file brings a, brings a unique value, especially to older systems where you're trying to like put in some good scripting practices. It's just great to be able to drop it in and it's separate and it, 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 you can connect it up to things and make it work really, really well. Um, but if you're building another kind of system might be um, 
where you're building something that is, uh, I'll take LedgerLink, which doesn't actually use our, our database transactions logic uh, exactly, but it uses a very related type of system in there. That doesn't make sense for us to ship LedgerLink with a separate controller file. Like that, mm-hmm. there's just so many reasons why that would get in the way that we don't want to do that. So we include it as part of LedgerLink. And that is because we know that we're going to, we're deploying LedgerLink as a standalone product and we need people to be able to, to put it into their, into their systems. And we don't want to have them to have to carry another file along with that. We want one file for that. So we build the transactional piece and the, and the, and the logic piece and the, and the UI piece and the database piece all into that same file. So, and that was, that was the right decision. That, that was the right decision to do it that way. You know, again, it's, it's, you have to think about where this is going to be deployed, how it's going to be deployed, um, whether or not it makes sense to put that in its own file or not. But certainly- I'll tell you what's really nice though, Todd, when, when you're dealing with a UI file, that's also your data file and you're on a layout and you're looking at a portal and you need to go straight into the, the table or- it's just, it's nice not having to switch gears, go open the data file, go manage database, go trace your way all the way right. back to where you needed to be. That's right. That's exactly right. There's, there's a lot of simplicity in being in a single file. And also, I think one of the things that's making me look down this road a little more is that, is that as we move into an um, internet kind of API-driven economy where there's all these pieces of things out there that we want to build and connect to, um, and frankly, there, you know, Connecting to an API isn't that challenging, um, you know, once you do it, but it's still work and you'd rather be able to leverage other people's work. And so if you can say latch on to, to a file that does like a lot of what you needed to do, maybe it's connecting to like an e-commerce platform like Shopify or, or Amazon or something like that. Um, if you can, if you can find a good, a good file that does that, that's for sale or or that somebody has come already, um, that getting that can make the difference between a project being able to go forward and not being able to go forward. So as we as we start to do more assembly of things, assembly of systems from different developers and different code bases, um, it may be that files become one of those pieces that we just that we use that we assemble things from. This is kind of sort of new thinking where I'm at, sort of like I'm trying to absorb like what's happening now and how fast things are changing. Um, having a file that you can drop in that connects to an API and then when you no longer use the API, just throw away. That's pretty compelling. That's so, pretty compelling. So we've gone from FileMaker 3, 4, 5, 6, where it's multiple files, to FileMaker 7, where it's one file. Then people started thinking about um, using data, separate, uh, separating the data from, from the UI. Then we thought, talking about concerns, now we're into just whole independent module, file modules that we drop in and kick out when we don't need. Yeah. That's that's an interesting evolution. We're kind of going all back and forth (laughs) about it, but. Yeah. I mean, I think, I I think if you're, you know, if you're of the opinion, you know, screw all this stuff. I don't, I don't want to have to figure out any of these things. Well, the answer is the answer. If that's your mindset, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a good one. And the answer is put everything in one file (laughs) because that's the simplest thing, you know, overall to think about. Um, you're going to have other issues to deal with, but, um, 
that will get you what you need. Just put everything in there um, and uh, and just sort of ride along that path. That'll work. I, I think I think there are some good reasons to separate things out. And I think, you know, some kind of subset of of files um, divided up by something, whether it's, you know, separations of, con- of concerns like having a separate controller file or separations of business modules like this is our ledger link file that connects to QuickBooks. This is our our CRM that we built custom. Um, that that might be a very good very good way of having some separation. Uh, so but yeah, please don't just consolidate everything just because yeah you feel like you can yeah yeah <laughs> like again it's, it's like there's not a good reason to consolidate everything. Frankly, uh, I don't think there's a you know there's not like a oh we have all these things in separate things let's pull them all together. I'm I'm not aware of too many situations where that's where that seems like the the right move to make. Like if it's again, if it's working, it's working. I have I I know someone who has a multiple file system and have had it for many years. They they built that according to them when they didn't know what they were doing. They're reconsidering building it back into one file. What advice would you give this person? What 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 would you ask them to think about? Well, I would, the, the, the first thing I would say is that one file or many files is not, there's not an inherent good in either direction, right? Like you like just getting to one because you think you need to get to one is not, there's, there's not a, there's not necessarily a benefit from that just because, Oh, we need to be in one file. Like there, there needs to be a reason why you want to consolidate. Um, and, and there should be a reason for why you want to separate too. There shouldn't, it's not a default answer. One is best. That's not, that's not true. Um, many is best. That's not true either. The answer is in the middle. Like it always is with anything that's anything that's that, that has some subtlety, but it's not like, like there's no answer to this. You just have to think about, okay, what, what's my, what's my deployment scenario? And am I doing, um, am I doing a vertical market? where I have different business units, different um, chunks that are sold to different tiers. Well, okay, well that might be a very good reason to have different files because it's certainly easier to like have different security for different files based on different licensing, right? That's, that seems like one really good reason to have separate files. Um, am I only building one system that's internal to, to, our, to our business only? It does 90% of what this business does and we're never gonna do anything else? Well whatever you have is probably fine. There's no reason to change off of that. So you have to, you have to ask all of those questions before you can get to the answer of whether or not you should consolidate or not. Uh, Frankly, again, I, I don't know why you would drag everything together into one file. I I mean, unless it's simple, like unless it's not going to take you that long to do, but if you have a complex, like 20, 30 file solution and you want to bring all that stuff that's in those files into one solution, one file, I, I mean, I don't know. That seems like a lot of work. I'm not sure where the benefit is. If you think you're going to leave, you know, 75% of it behind. Okay. Maybe, maybe, but think about it like where, where think, think about where you're going. Again, it's not just to get to one file. There's no, there's nothing special. I, I shouldn't say there's nothing special about one file because it makes security easier. So one file has that, but there are workarounds if you, and, and they're not even bad ones. It's external auth, which is supported on, and all the platforms and there's OAuth, which is supported really well. If you have, if you happen to use Office 365, that's really the only, the only benefit that I see to one file. The only overarching benefit is that it's, uh, it, it makes security a little easier in some scenarios. Other than that, I don't think so. 
So what is, you mentioned a little bit about this, this uh, file add-on kind of thing. What, what is our structure now? Where are we? What is our current thinking? You know, I, <laughs> I'm a, <laughs> whenever, whenever I, I, I study Zen with a, with an actual Zen teacher and you go and ask them questions like this and they never give you a good answer. And I'm afraid I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give the satisfying answer, which is that there's one way to do it. Um, I, again, I ask these questions about any given scenario that we're in, you know, we have a system that we use internally that uses a controller file and a couple data files and, uh, and a couple UI files and it's working. I'm not, we're not going to change that just because, uh, I mean, I don't, you know, we're not going to change that without a good reason. Now, a good reason may come along and it may be that something like, well, part of this internal system, we're going to turn into a product. So we're going to take that part and we're going to make that into something that is maybe one file, maybe only two files, and we're going to sell that, right? And so that is going to become this module that we're going to then, you know, repurpose. Um, that might be a reason why, why we would do it. Um, I, I think, again, if, if there's advice here. The advice is data imports are not a reason to separate. Um, if you don't have gigabytes of data that are causing you backup problems or IO problems, then you don't know how to separate. So don't use that as a reason to do your, to do your separation. Think about what it is that you want at the end, at the end of this, of that process. And, you know, what is the deployment scenario really that you want out of this? And that's how you make that decision. And that could end you end up with one file. Some projects are perfectly fine with one file. Some projects will have many files. And you have to you have to go through that process we've been trying to describe to come to that decision. So, so we don't we don't have a, a standard around this. Um, sure, we do. We, do. we have really strict standards. We just change them all the time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. There, there, but so there are some there are levels of things that we that we do don't change, yeah. and I think that's it. May be hard to see. Um, you know, file architecture is a simple thing to sort of see where your dividing lines are. And it's harder in other scenarios where you might have different things that, um, you know, make up your separations, if you will. But like I said before, database transactions, if you're doing anything beyond the simplest systems and you're not using transactions, you're missing not only an easier way to do it, but a better way to do it. And it's, it's it's truly better. And this is not a fad. This is something that I have been working on in one form or another since the early 2000s. And there's no question in my mind and no question that I'm aware of in anybody's mind who's gone and really adopted these, that there is, that there is some, that there's a good reason to abandon them. There's sure. not. There's database transactions are a critical aspect of any serious FileMaker system. Um, now, the easiest way, I think the easiest way to deploy them is inside of a controller file and just drop it into your current system and you can get going and you can, you can start going along. And that makes a lot of sense. If you have a reason that you want your file to not have a separate file to depend on, then you can do transactions inside of your same single file. You can do that. But so database transactions are, are essential. And we have a, a, a we have, we have others that are, are similar, you know, JSON in and JSON out um, critical. We're not, we're not going back from using JSON as our data transfer mechanism, um, our, our kind of API, appro API driven approach 
um, which goes along with the transactions is also just, that's not changing because those are, those prove themselves over and over and over and over again to be useful ways to think about building your system. They just don't have anything, they don't have anything necessarily to do with file structure. Well, that, that's what I was trying to, I was finishing is we don't have a standard around a file structure. Like I, I know some well, we, people think dogmatically about here's, we're always going to have these three files or we're always going to have the single file, but we approach it project by project, um, use case by use case. We, and, we, and, we and, and again, it's sort of like what we also have, like we have, we have this carbon framework that we built that has a lot of these things built into it that happens to be multi-files. Yeah. And we use that for projects when it makes sense to do so. And we're not going to say, okay, let's just slam all this stuff into one file now just because one file. I mean, there's, there's no good reason to do that. You have to, again, you have to have a reason to do it. So when we're faced with um, a situation that needs, like say, one thing we haven't touched at all really on is party model and, and data modeling and stuff, which is also critical to, to complex um, systems. Um, then we just reach for carbon because it's there. And, and we have it and we know it works and, uh, and it's got all the bells and whistles in it. Um, so that could be a standard for those types of, those types of systems. If we're building LedgerLink, we don't, we don't use carbon. LedgerLink is an add-on to the carbon sort of system, but, but LedgerLink itself is not built with a three file strict de- division of, of how to do that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. Help yeah. Clar- clarify that to some degree. So we still have carbon. We still use it. Um, and we have other projects that aren't, don't need carbon or, or carbon would, would put some constraints on it that we don't, aren't good for that project. We don't use it, but we still use those standards, those database transactions, UI separation, um, JSON, those kind of things we still use always. So I talked about this, um, being a one of the decision points that you that you need to evaluate is whether you're using FileMaker Cloud or whether you're on-prem. And I think let's hope that maybe that becomes a little bit more flexible in the future. But right now, if you've got a three-file limit yeah. to get to the essentials uh, tier, then you've got to really make some decisions. Yep. Uh, but I wanted to I wanted to walk you through an actual project from an actual client and and talk about some of the specific files and the reason why they're separate files so that we have maybe a little bit more practical application of this conversation. Um, So just going down the list, a lot of them are third-party modules. Uh, FME Signature Link deals with um, DocuSign and managing um, that process with DocuSign. It didn't make sense to reinvent the wheel. So my client licensed uh, FME Signature Link and we bolted it on. We have some developer operations tools like Generator, working with APIs and 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 uh, that kind of thing. Um, and then we have an intake process that is a form-based process that really is an intermediate step to getting um, records into the system. And I wanted that to be a separate file because that wasn't part of the, the permanent data model. It was just a data collection mechanism and review tool. Uh, good example. Really good example. This is an old system. So the very first time I added a controller file, it was before JSON. It was um, in, in a lot of ways, we weren't really doing a lot with passing parameters. We were doing a lot more with like 
global fields and stuff like that. So there was some really legacy technology in that controller file. But the beauty of having a controller in a separate file was that when we started building out Carbon and we had this really awesome way to do transactions using JSON payloads and, and results, that I could just bolt a new version of the controller file onto this solution and simply all new development happened in V2. Yeah. Yeah. And any significant development on any existing routines in V1 meant that I would probably deprecate that function and write a new one in V2. But all of that code is still working. Yeah. There's years old code in that original version one of controller that's still working. Some some other examples are data warehouses and data marts where you don't want to bloat your system um, with essentially denormalized uh, data for reporting purposes and anal analysis, um, any of uh, any log files. So we have general uh, general log that's stored in a FileMaker file that can actually just be thrown away and regenerated. Um, don't want that taking up any backup space. It doesn't even need to be backed up at all. Um, a plugin manager that distributes plugins to clients, possibly even a reporting file. We have, um, there's one module that we use a lot uh, across a lot of our projects that is a party merge utility which is um all of the, the the kind of general understanding of what it takes in order to merge when you have duplicate contacts the types of merging and collapsing of data that needs to happen a picker module you might actually have as a separate bolt-on module we and, we um, did that dashboard right uh in a separate module correct where you a system status. If you're, if you want to see um, at a glance all of the events in your system, and are are they all passing on schedule, or have some of them failed to run? A system status is a great bolt-on module. Um, another module would be a tutorial. So you might have um, screencasts that that record um, how to use your application. Little little pieces of your application, like little two to five minute video clips of how to use certain features and and being able to have um, links to those throughout your system so that people can open those video players and and be able to, to move that code and use that kind of functionality across multiple different projects. So um, these are all like, everything that I just ran down in this list is in one project, separate files. How do you get to a point? I, again, you're you're you both are going to tell me it depends or something. But <laughs> how do you get to a point where you kind of know in your gut which direction to go? Um, I to me, that's part of the evolution of thinking is to be less dogmatic, to be more open to the possibilities. I you know we all have evolved from using calculations to not using calculations at all to using them where it's appropriate. I'll let you know when I get there. Oh, oh, okay. Dang it. Oh. <laughs> uh, honestly, um, you know, past experience kind of informs some of those decisions. Um, but to this day, I frequently start off thinking it's going to be one direction and quickly understand that, um, you know, different, different choice is probably a better value. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's no shortcuts to some of these things, you know, um, uh, it's just, I mean, you, you, anytime you're, anytime you, you're, you're learning anything that's kind of like a craft or an art, you know, whether it's doing, doing this kind of work, programming, FileMaker, 
music, martial arts, you know, whatever, all everybody, it's always the same. You learn, you go through all these things, you learn all this stuff, these rules. And eventually the point is to forget the rules and there's not a shortcut to it. You just kind of have to do it and you just, you have to get, you have to put in the hours. Who was it? I forget who it was. It said it takes 10,000 hours to master something. Um, I've actually proven to be wrong. Yeah, I know, but it still was a nice number. The point is that, is that it, the, I think, I think what you can do, here's the thing that you can do when you're learning, when you're starting out or when you're actually, I think people starting out um, have this, don't have this much of a problem. It's the middle part. That's the hardest part, because here's where you start to get, um, you start to learn a lot about whatever it is that you're doing. And you start to get opinions and you start to get ideas about what the right way to do things are. Mm-hmm. And you can get stuck on those ideas for a long, long time. So the, so the, the one thing that you can do is always remember that the rules that you're learning, the best, the best practices that you're learning are really only guideposts. They're not the goal. They aren't the end point of where you're headed. They're just intended to kind of keep you between the rails until you get to the point that you'll look at this stuff and go, yeah, this is the way we should do it. And that's just the way it is. I hate to tell, I hate to break it to you, but that is, that is it. <laughs> you know, the, there's a, there's a quote by Neil deGrasse Tyson <clears throat> that just nails this. And he says, a great challenge of life, knowing enough to think you're right, but not knowing enough to know that you're wrong. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And, and you you do have to think that you're going to change and it's okay to make, it's okay to, to not do it correctly. Um, because you're, that's the other problem I think that happens to people in the middle, in the, in the middle there where they're getting really good, but they're, they still are really holding on to their ideas is they, they have a, at least I know I did. Um, I had a real aversion to doing, to making the wrong call. And, um, I would spend a lot of time getting to the point where I would feel that I was certain about something. And at the end, it's just, there's no certainty. And so you have to be able to change, which is why I think, Eventually you do learn where the places to really settle on are like, man, I remember, I think I probably spent maybe 10 years worried about naming conventions. Like, I mean, just constant, like refactoring naming conventions. And I mean, maybe it was a fad in the FileMaker world at the time, but I really could care less about, and there's a very few things that, that we've settled on in terms of naming conventions and the rest of it, I just don't care about. Um, you know, and I spent, I mean, there was actually a committee put together by FileMaker even um, that I was on uh, years and years ago to come up with naming conventions for developers to follow. And it never went anywhere because, of course, it won't. Naming conventions are always going to be subjective and they're always going to always going to cause uh, some people won't adopt them. But I mean, I spent so much time on naming conventions and they're just I don't think about them. There's a few. There's a very few, and, I, and sometimes they change from project to project. I think you should be consistent. You should try to be consistent, but I don't even care about that that much, frankly. <laughs> so, Todd, how do you feel about spaces and field names? Spaces and field <laughs> names are a problem, and you shouldn't do it. That's one uh, of the spaces and usernames. There, there are very few. There are very few things that I think will that that I care about in terms of naming. The rest of it's all all bunk. I just don't care. And uh, you, you end up with more and more and more of those things. There are a few things that you settle on that are critical. And, and you know, I can just have described some of those here today. I think everybody has a slightly, who's been down this road for a long time, has a slightly different take on what they are. But I would be, wouldn't, 
I think that most people do this a long time, settle in the same basic areas. And, and those, those are things that, you know, that, that when you're learning can be very kind of, what the heck is he talking about? Like the, the one I think that stumps a lot of people until they get for deep in is the difference between UI logic, you know, what I think of as validation logic or UI logic and business logic, like those, it's still FileMaker scripts are still running a FileMaker script. Like what's the difference between where does it, where is it UI logic? Where is it business logic? And, and to me, it just is quite obvious. Like I don't even just like, oh yeah, that's UI, that's business. It's clear as day. But it took a long time to get there, and it's not, you know, when I try to explain to people, I'm not sure that I that I explain it in a way that that gives them that understanding. Um, but it's it's there. It's pretty obvious. Um, and once you get there, it's pretty obvious. You've you've the, had to explain it to me a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe I'll just explain it real quickly to get people who haven't thought about this and a way to to kind of to kind of think about it. But especially now, this really came into focus when we got JSON, which really made this possible to have one way to pass around your data from script to script. Um, so UI logic is, is scripts that control the experience that the user has. Um, and so they, they involve things like taking them from page to page, presenting um, layouts and fields that they need to enter, giving them instructions and helpful hints on how, on how to do that, validating the data for them um, so that they know that they shouldn't press this save button because they didn't put a first name in there, right? That's all UI logic. That is all improving the experience of the user. The business logic might be, let's take, let's take in like Dave's intake form. Let's make it really simple. I'm entering some, I'm entering a new lead into the database, a new, a new contact of some, some sense. And my database, my scripted logic or my database logic has some very strict validations around what gets into the database. Um, and so we, we do those at, in the controller level or at the database level, depending on a few things, which I'll leave out of this conversation, but the controller is going to enforce, it's going to say, okay, I am not allowed to take data through, through the controller that doesn't have a first name. Like you are required to have a first name. So the controller script is going to take a bucket of JSON and it's going to look at that JSON. It's going to say, oh, there's no first name. So I'm going to error and then, and, and I'm not going to even submit it to the database for its acceptance. That's business logic. We're enforcing that at, 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 the, at the controller level. Um, the UI logic would be, um, that might seem like it's overlapping, might be when I'm somebody on a layout filling out that data, filling out that form, and they don't put a first name in there, I'm going to highlight it. Say, I'm going to you know maybe use conditional formatting to show it in red, or if they try to actually hit OK and save that, I'm going to say, hey, um, you need a first name. I'm not going to even bother submitting it to the controller file before before that logic happens. Why do you do that? The reason you do that is because how because the the business logic in the controller has value and may have value that it accrues over time because now we're not just getting data from that one layout. We're getting data from maybe we've got a lead system where we've got a form on the internet that's submitting data to our to um to to say our WordPress site, like looking at something like like Gravity Forms. And now I want to be able to automatically take that data through and send it through that same controller. So there's no so it doesn't have the layout logic to rely on the validation. It's now taking it straight in through some automated thing. Or maybe I want a mobile app that uses the same logic but totally different UI, but eventually I'm going to pass it through that same controller script. 
right? So we've, we've taken that stuff that is hard dependencies that we don't, we want to make sure we enforce no matter where the data comes from. And we put that into our controller and we say that this is going to stop anything from getting in that's bad. And that the error message that comes back from that might be something that's not very helpful to the user, right? It could be something like, you know, JSON payload was missing the first name property. Well, that's good for developers, not great for the end user. So now in our UI, we build in the nice warning as it comes back. Let's say we submit it to the controller. The controller comes back and says, JSON payload missing a parameter. Then you present to the user a nice version of that. Now we're back in UI logic. Hey, hey, um, Mrs. User, you need, to add a, you need to add a first name. And let me go ahead and put the cursor in the first name field so that you are ready to do that. You can only do that kind of logic when you're dealing with the user experience. You can't do that kind of logic, the user experience logic in the controller, because you're not on a particular UI. It's just data logic. So when you start thinking like that, all of a sudden, a lot of things get simpler. And all of a sudden, you're able to you reuse code a lot, a, lot, uh, uh, a lot easier because you're thinking about things in terms of this is how I manage my user's experience. And this is how I manage my data. Is that helpful? It's kind of long-winded, but I think it's, it's a good example. Yeah, well, uh, we should uh, talk more about that uh, at a different time. So I've got some good closing um, questions for you. And right. I want sh nice short answers. <laughs> Wait a second. We haven't even talked about data modeling yet. No, we'll have to do another one on data modeling. We need to do that anyway. <laughs> that was your episode, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah. I know. Done again. <laughs> All right, so here we go. So your work with selector connector, your work with multiple files, single file, separation concerns, whatever, the stuff that you're not using anymore, was any of it a waste to you? Oh, no, the answer, the answer to that question has to always be no. I mean, you just can't, right? Every, even the situations that hurt and that are painful um, help you to grow. And you have to, in my opinion, you got to approach life in, in that way. Otherwise, you'll 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 walk around being terribly afraid of making a mistake. Mistakes have value. You never know where they're going to lead you. You never know, you never actually know what what seems like a mistake today may turn out to be, you know, the best thing that ever happened to you down the road. So just don't 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 have regrets. Try to learn from things that turned out to be not what you expected. And certainly we've done that. Certainly. Anybody who's trying hard in this industry will have done things where the results did not meet their expectations, you know, what you hope to get out of it, you didn't get out of it. That is just, that is just, that is always going to be the case. Um, hopefully you can learn to recognize that sooner and, and reduce that time, but it's going to happen for sure. Okay. Dave, do you have any other opinion about that? <laughs> you know, okay. So there have been periods of time, I, I wouldn't say recently, but definitely in my past, there have been periods of time where I was very dogmatic about things and said, you know, like FileMaker pop-up menus are horrible because this. So I'm going to replace all of them with some Apple scripted widget kind <laughs> of thing that, you know, those definitely, I, I regret having made really idiotic choices in the, in it, that w were based on what I thought were principles in, in, I don't know, maybe the last 10 years, they've all been based on somewhat of an evaluation. Um, so even the mistakes I've made have been based on kind of a, an estimation of 
this feature is going to deliver some value. And, you know, I haven't always been right, um, for sure. But just as Todd says, you know, those those mistakes um, teach you as much as as often your successes do. And I think more, they're worth more, it. More, I think. Yeah, true. Just don't be dogmatic about things. Don't, yeah. don't just, just because, you know, some um, HTML kind of widgets or controls are a little bit more flexible and can slide and be dynamic. Um, isn't an excuse to replace every one of your native elements on yeah. your layout. I disagree with that. Yeah. Let's get rid of portals. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, that's that's really hard, and I, I it's really hard to change from demo, uh, dogmatic because, as Todd mentioned earlier, people are learning; they want to learn the rules. It's really tough to switch from learning all the rules to and following them to not following them. I, I'm, I'm, I've got less experience than both of you. I remember that very clearly for me, the times that I was learning and then being, being pushed to stop thinking so dogmatically. I think, you know, that's, that's a tough transition for a lot of people for it, it's, we all go through it, but it's really tough. It's really, it, well, and Jeremy, it's a, it's a double-edged sword too, because you can be dogmatic about plain vanilla FileMaker and not expose yourself to anything else that could potentially offer a ton of value to you <laughs> in your principled approach to only using the things that the base FileMaker tool set gives you. You really, it's, it's forest for the trees. I'm not sure I'm going to use that part. <laughs> Let's see here. Are there any downsides to evolving your thoughts? Um, uh, no, but I can think of a downside to not. Yeah. I, I think you have to be able to change. I think that um, change, but you do have to avoid change for, for just change sake. And you got to balance that thing. Uh, what was your... Give us the opposite. Why is it downside to? What is the downside? Well, okay, to so there, so there is a downside to um, spending a ton of time yeah. on on rethinking and evolving thought processes. Um, you know, you could wind up in a situation where you're not paying your bills yeah. uh, because you're not actually delivering the features that your your clients are asking for. So there there could be you know if you take it to an extreme. Um, there could be a downside to spending an awful lot of time kind of really questioning everything. Um, but I think there's just too much upside and in experimenting and tinkering and pushing the envelope a little bit, seeing what's possible. Um, not just assuming that the way that things have been done for the last 20 years are the way are, are the best way of doing things because in that discovery process, um, where you truly get to invent something, um, looking back on that and, and seeing the, the, the accomplishments over the years that I still use to this day that I, and I wonder how would it be if I didn't have, you know, that tool or that method or that approach, um, I definitely wouldn't be as good a developer as I am. Besides the, the experimentation and tinkering is fun. You need to yeah. do some of it. True. You absolutely got to do it. John Renfrew and I talked about that in a recent episode. So you should. Listen. I loved that episode. <laughs> I loved it. Um, all right. Keep uh, two more questions. Uh, why is this an important attitude to have in FileMaker? Is it technology in general that should have this attitude? Is it FileMaker? Why do we need to have this attitude? Well, technology changes very, very, very rapidly. So I think broadly speaking, it's, it's, I think if you're in if you're in this space, you're going to be changing. Um, 
and it's and that pace is probably only going to increase. Uh, I would say that I think right now um, we are entering in the terms of the in in the in the Claris FileMaker ecosystem. We're gonna we're entering a period of of increased change, um, and that's just you know it's coming at us from all directions. It's very easy to get overwhelmed by it. It's also very easy to to just try to ignore it. Um, but really, it's it's some combination of looking at what's happening and trying to pick out the parts that are interesting and and that you can explore and figure out and and get some experience with. Because uh, I think more than in any recent period, we're going to see a lot of change coming to to our neck of the world. Uh, and I mean, not just given the crisis we're in, which we, which we still haven't really i mean we're still we're still in the early days of this crisis and what it's going to do to the economy to businesses and to automation and all this stuff so now it's changes here and it is accelerating and i don't think you can you can hope to slow it down you know i don't think of this as a technology conversation at all i mean it, i think you know to todd's point the the landscape's changing quite a bit and faster than ever before. Yeah. Um, so in that aspect, yeah, it, it, it is, a, it's definitely a technology conversation, but I think it's just more of a conversation about life. I mean, I love watching these new and creative approaches to solving problems on Kickstarter that have nothing to do with technology, like belt buckles. Like who would have <laughs> thought that after all these years, there's a better way of keeping your pants suspended around your waist. And um, after so much like thought and energy over, over hundreds or thousands of years in designing products that worked, there's still really cool, innovative thought processes that can create things that we just can't live without now. Uh, now there are some things like these bowls that my daughter had to have that has a straw built into the bowl. So when when you're <laughs> eating cereal, you can you can drink the milk without tipping the well, bowl. I think at some point maybe we've gone a little bit too far. That's just gross. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> right, Jeremy. Yeah, that's uh... yep. Put just the right amount of milk in there. So when you're done with the cereal, you're done with the milk. You can't you dump the milk. milk. What are you thinking? Yeah. It it must be. You, no. you must drink it. No, 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 no. So, no, no milk, no cereal at the end. It's just gone. I knew we were going to disagree on something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Thank you, uh, Dave and Todd. It's good to talk about evolution of thought. Um, it's as you said, Todd. Things are coming fast at us, and we even faster, even more. We're going to have to get used to new ways of thinking, right? Yep. And new, yep. new things that are coming in our platform. So yep. let's do it. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me and we'll talk to you later. It's been fun. Bye. Thanks, Thanks for everybody. See you guys. And that brings us to the end of another episode of The Context Podcast. It's always good to get Todd on to talk about things and doubly good when Dave Graham can join us. If you would, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And reach out at info at geistinteractive.com with comments and suggestions for topics. Until next week, remember, the Context Podcast is king. <laughs>